Well, folks, this is the time of the show where I go out in the, across the world and, and find somebody who's interesting to talk to. And I'm pretty sure you're going to see the relevance of this as we get into it. But I've got on the line, I've got the editor and publisher of Retirement Income Journal, also the author of Annuities for Dummies. His name is Kerry Pector. Kerry, welcome in. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, now let's talk about the financial world right now. I guess when we when people hear about this thing called a fiduciary standard, and I want to get into that and, and see what your opinion is on that, and what's the average investor to do these days? So first of all, what is the government up to exactly right now? Well, they started in 2010. They made a proposal to regulate IRAs, which a lot of people use after they take their money out of their uh, 401k plan. They roll it over to an IRA. And they made a proposal to regulate IRAs the same way that they regulate 401ks. The money starts in, people save in their 401ks, then as they get older or as they change jobs, they roll over to IRAs. And the money moves from the 401k to the IRA. And where it gets a little complicated is that the 401k money is very tightly regulated. People can't sell products to 401k owners to just buy random products with their 401k money. But then when the money rolls over to an IRA, it moves into sort of a gray area where people can sell anything to an IRA owner. And then the third kind of money, of course, is the non-401k, non-IRA money. And that's money that you've got just in ordinary mutual fund accounts or in the bank. And that money is not affected by this. It's just mainly the IRA money. And so what they've wanted to do is to what they call raise the standard of conduct of advisors toward the IRA money that matches the standard on 401k money. The people who sell financial products, they would like the money that's in IRAs to be treated the same way as any other retail money. The problem is that it's in a gray zone. So the proposal was first made in 2010, and it has been reproposed. And right now, they're moving into the final stages of comments on that and they're going to come up with a proposal probably by before the end of the Obama administration. So basically, the government is getting in there and coming up with some rules, but how would uh, the rules reduce access to advice amongst the, those in the middle class, which is most everybody out there in America? Well, this is the, the main criticism that the private securities industry has made of the proposal, is that uh, if this proposal passes, it will sort of cut in half or more than cut in half the availability of financial advice, mostly to middle-class people with small accounts. And uh, without getting too much down in the weeds, here's how it works. There's essentially two kinds of, of advice that people can get, and they usually don't know whether they're getting one or the other. There's advice where you pay for the advice, where you actually either write a check for a couple of hours of financial advice and you hand it to the advisor, or else you let an advisor manage your money, and then he takes a 1% fee every year out of your money. In both of those cases, you're paying the advisor. And because you're paying the advisor, the advisor pretty much has no reason not to, to work in your best interest. There's another kind of advice that most people who don't have much money use, and that's what I call vendor-financed advice. That means that the person who gives you the advice is going to get paid by the company that makes the mutual fund or the annuity that you're buying. So instead of getting paid by you, you're getting paid by the company that made the product. Now, the government now says that that is conflicted advice and that this kind of advice can go on, can continue, but for a 
underpaid advice, they have to make a promise up front through a contract with the individual and that that individual could rely on that contract to enforce it that the person was acting in their best interest. Now, I should add that the person is not really getting free advice here, and that's part of the problem. The individual ends up paying for the advice out of the annual expenses of the product. You pay more for that product, so it looks like you walk into an advisor and there's no fee that you're paying because the vendor pays the fee, but then you end up paying more per year for the ownership of that product, and that's how the vendor gets back the money it paid to the advisor. There's no free lunch here. So uh, most people, the issue is that most people do not know which kind of advisor they are going to, the kind that takes your money and charges you a 1% fee and takes it out of your own money, or the kind that where they get paid by the vendor and that you pay back unknowingly through the cost of the product. The real problem is that people do not know, and the Department of Labor wants to make it very, very clear to everyone in big, bold letters what kind of advisor they're working with when it involves rollover IRA money. Some people see this as a huge government intervention in IRA space that never existed before, and the Department of Labor says, well, we have to regulate this money because it's still tax-deferred, and it's only through a loophole that the money moved from the 401k to the IRA in the first place. It's very complicated, but it's also very simple. There's a certain kind of advice. The word advisor covers a lot of different kind of people now, and the government wants you to know exactly what kind you're working with and exactly what you're paying and exactly what you're paying for. And this would interrupt the way things are done right now to a great degree. Uh, now, now here's where the part comes in with the deprivation. If the government essentially outlaws or makes it very hard for people to use vendor finance advice, then it will get rid of vendor finance advice. The advisor will get out of that business. Just get out of that business because he says that the individual is not going to pay me, the vendor is not going to pay me, I'm not going to provide this service at all. The complaint is that by the industry is that all this advice will go away. And they point to what happened in England. England made similar rules in 2013 as they're considering in the U.S. now. And a lot of this vendor finance advice did go away and people had to find other ways of getting advice. Yeah. So, I mean, so what is the, and we got about a minute left here, but what is the average investor, um, what would this mean to them? I, th- I think it will narrow down the choices and the choices might not be as good as they could be if the government would have stayed out of it. But how can people keep track of this, and, and, and how can people know if it's going to benefit them or not? You don't have to worry about what the government is doing. The smartest thing that you can do is just to be a smart individual, ask questions. If you go to get advice for somebody, and then you ask, how am I paying you? I can give you one example that really illustrates what I'm talking about. I, I had a friend who called me and said, I'm about to sign an agreement with a, uh, a broker and uh, I'm going to put my mother's $250,000 inheritance uh, with this broker, and uh, am I doing the right thing? And I said, well, how much are you paying for that transaction? And she said, uh, I don't know. We never talked about that. Or they said that it was free. So I actually went to the meeting with her, and I said, well, how much is she going to pay? How much is going to be deducted from that account the minute she signs the contract? And the broker said to me, it'll be $5,000. 
Well, this was the first that she had heard that she would be paying a fee of $5,000. No one had ever talked about that. Well, they said that, that, that it was free. I said, well, let's not do this. Let's put your money in. I don't necessarily want to favor one thing over another, but I said, let's put your money into no-load funds, and you won't be paying any any $5,000. And we walked out of there, and and she would never, ever have known. So my point is, you must educate yourself to some point, or you have no idea what you'll be paying or how you'll be paying it. And the government is not going to be able to protect you, even if they pass this regulation. The only way you can protect yourself is to become a little bit more knowledgeable and ask a lot of tough questions. What am I paying? How am I paying? Who's paying you? And then uh, you stand a much better chance of retiring safely. Kerry Pector, editor and publisher of Retirement Income Journal. We really thank you for your time today. My pleasure. And folks, if you join this interview late or want to listen to old interviews from the past, you can always go to financialsafari.com and click on the As Heard on the Show icon. We'll be right back after this. 